You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing, my peoples? Doing good? Good, good. So, in case you're new here, part of my role is to translate weird stuff from the Bible into common day vernacular for people so everybody can join in and understand, right? And one of the weirdest parts of the Bible is Revelation, and we've been studying Revelation since, like, May. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I just never read Revelation because I figure I probably can't understand it anyway, so why should I read it? And I can sympathize with that view. I've never taught it until just this year uh, because I know that it's a hard book to, I guess, interpret. And that makes me more sympathetic to people that have a different view of the particular book in the Bible than what I do. But the timeline we've been working on goes something like this, is that Jesus died on the cross. After he died and rose again, he started the church age, space of grace that we're living in right now. And then someday in the future, there'll be what the Bible calls a rapture where God calls his kids up to be with him in the air. Then there'll be seven years of tribulation. Now, what we're going to study from Revelation 16 today is actually uh, in the tribulation period. And a lot of Bible scholars believe that the seven years of tribulation is going to happen so that God can shake up and wake up people so that they'll you know, come to believe in him and love him and accept his grace and his mercy. And one of the things that we're looking at in Revelation is not just stuff that's going to happen in the future, and it's not just parts of it that could have been parts of the past, but it's how we can take it and apply it to our lives in the present right now, those transferable principles. And one of those principles we're going to see today is that we need to not harden our hearts, but we've got to soften our hearts to the Lord, look at this group of people who had been given chance after chance after chance after chance to receive God's love, grace, and mercy, and look at how stubborn they are in Revelation 16, 9. It says, they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. People nod their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven. They did not repent of their deeds. And one more time, it says they curse God. So it's like three times in one passage, they're like cursing God after he's given them all these opportunities to receive his mercy, love, and grace. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you something. Did anybody besides me ever receive some loving discipline from your parents, right? And by the way, when I say loving discipline, I'm not talking about abuse. We're not about abuse at all here. But anybody get like a loving swat with a chancla or anything like that? And so um, as, you, as you grow a little older, you know, like when I became a teenager, my parents knew that I was a little on the stubborn side. And they had to get a little more creative with the way that they would discipline me. And so I was on this baseball team, played baseball when I was younger, loved baseball. And all the guys on the baseball team chewed tobacco, you know. Because when I was a kid, all these professional athletes, they all chewed tobacco, you know. And so anyway, we wanted to be like them, so we all chewed tobacco. And one time I was chewing tobacco at home. I know it's gross. But anyways, I, I was chewing tobacco at home. My parents wanted to teach me a lesson, right? And so my dad walks into the room, and you know, there's that nasty spit cup there, and he says, you're going to drink it. And so I knew what he was, I knew they were trying to teach me a lesson, make me throw up or something, you know, and so I was just, I hardened my heart towards him, and I looked my dad in the eye, I took that spit cup, and I just drank it down, I looked him in the eye, and I bowed up, you know, and my dad just shook his head, 
walked out of the room and I thought I'd won. And then I ran to the trash can. It's like, Ugh, you know, but uh, anyways, uh, were, were any of you that kid that bowed up hard in your heart from your parents? And can I tell you something? When we bow up to God and are harden our hearts to him, we're drinking a spiritual spit cup. I'll tell you that right now is what we're doing. It's not gonna go well for us. And there was a time in my life when spiritually I was running from God, hardening my heart to God, and I believe I almost went too far. And it's like he warned me, Doug, don't take another step further away from me because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and that's why I think Hebrews 3.8 tells us, Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not what? Harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And so I'd like to submit one idea that I believe is transforming, if we'll make this declaration and mean it in our hearts. If we say to God, God, I choose to soften my heart, I believe it'll transform every facet of our light, lives. So would you put your hand on your heart if you're comfortable to do so and say, make this declaration out loud with me if you wanna do so? And it's just simple, this. So let's say it together. God, I choose to soften my heart. We need to say it again for those that are worshiping online. Here we go, ready? God, I choose to soften my heart. And that one declaration, I believe, can change us. Now, look at some people in Revelation who didn't harden up and bow up to God, but they softened their heart to God. Revelation chapter 15, verse two. Those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name with harps of God in their hands. I guess there really is gonna be harps in heaven. Uh, they sing the song of Moses. That song of Moses is real significant to our understanding today. The servant of God and the song of the lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And so people with soft hearts, they conquered the beast. And look, you can conquer any beast that you're dealing with today when you soften your heart to God. We've got people in a tribe group called cult, uh, called conquerors, and they're conquering the beast of lust. And if you want to get involved in that, you can go out to the tribe connect tent and get involved in conquerors. But people who soften their hearts to God, love to worship God, and the people in Revelation 16 are worshiping on to a song that was a collab between Moses and Jesus. Moses represents the law. Jesus represents love. The two come together in perfect harmony for a worship song to God. And Moses actually, in this text in Revelation 16, mentioning Moses is a very strategic connection to the passage we're studying today about the bowls of wrath in the future to the plagues in Egypt. I'm gonna show you those and that correlation here in just a minute. But uh, here's the thing we gotta do. We gotta look at bowl number one, the sores. Revelation chapter 16, verse two. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So the people who take the mark of the beast in the future, they're gonna get this, you know, wrath poured out and they'll get these sores all over their body. I don't know if it's gonna be cancerous sores or, you know, like middle school zit sores or uh, whatever it is, but sores are gonna come on their bodies. And these people, after they've had over 20 manifestations of God's power, will still harden their hearts 
to God, and the text says they curse him. But look at bowls number two and three. This is when the ocean and the fresh water turn to blood. This is Revelation 16, three. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of the water, and they became blood. And that's going to be a pretty gross thing. It's like the oceans, no more seafood, because it's all blood. The fresh water, 1% of the water that humans rely on, is going to turn to blood. And before you feel sorry for these people, they're going to have to drink blood in their water. Remember that these people not only curse God to his face, but Revelation 16, 6 tells us that, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And what I want you to understand is these abusers of the future, God says, no more. I'm gonna shut it down. And look, if you've ever been abused, what I want you to understand is, is in the future, God will shut that down. He will not allow the abusers to shape eternity future. And that brings us to the next of the bowls, bowl number four, the scorching sun, Revelation chapter 16, verse eight. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. And look, when this bowl happens, the sun is gonna be intensified seven times, the text says. And there will be no debate about global warming. SPF 1000 will not protect people from the harmful rays of the sun. And there's a former head of civil engineering at Virginia Tech who calculated that if the sun was intensified seven times, the sea levels would rise by 200 feet. And so by this point, uh, we would see cities like New York City that's only 33 feet above sea level, gone. Corpus and Galveston that are only seven feet above sea level, gone. Orlando, Florida is like 30, or no, 82 feet above sea level. No more Mickey Mouse and Disney World, okay? It's gone underwater because of this plague. And by this point in the tribulation, the people there will not have just seen one, two, or three, but many, many, many different displays of God's power. And you would think if you saw a, a clear-cut display of God's power that you would submit yourself and receive his love and grace. But these people, time after time, after chance after chance after chance to receive God's love, grace, and mercy, they bow up and harden their hearts to God, and that leads us to bowl number five, darkness. Revelation 16, 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into what? Darkness. People nod their tongues in anguish, and so whatever area of the earth the beast still controls at this time in the future is gonna be covered in darkness. It's gonna be more depressing than Seattle. It's gonna be darker than a Tim Burton movie, right? I mean, the Bible describes outer darkness as like judgment from God, and these people will, at this point, not only curse God, they're gonna wanna fight with God. And that leads us to bowl number six. The Euphrates River is going to dry up to prepare for the battle. Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel 
poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, this is weird, and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. You've heard of Armageddon, the last battle. So the dried up Euphrates River is gonna create like a path for the armies of the east. Some scholars think it's gonna be like some of the Muslim nations of the East, maybe Russia, China, I don't know who. And by the way, we're not prejudiced against any of those people. We love those people, but there will be demonic heads of state at that time for whatever armies of the East exist at that time. And they will march in a dried up riverbed to Israel to war with uh, Israel and God. And the reason they will, because they're deceived by these demonic spirits, like frog spirits that deceive them with false miracles to fight against God. And they're going to go to the place in Hebrew, Armageddon. What's Armageddon? Where is Armageddon? Well, I've always been taught that it was the Valley of Megiddo. Now, on one of our couple of trips to Israel, Jeannie and I visited the Valley of Megiddo, and you learn when you go there that it's this place that is the first recorded battle in human history. Uh, there have been around 200 battles that have taken place in that valley that you can see there pictured on the screen. And so it's easy for me to understand why a lot of people believe that that's where the last battle is going to take place. There are these Bible characters that battled there. There were even battles in World War II that took place on that battlefield. But scholar Michael Heisner makes a good case as he does the work in the Greek and the Hebrew that that word Armageddon should be translated Mount of Assembly. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the Mount of Assembly? Let me just tell you. It's Jerusalem. And so Armageddon, a lot of us believe, is going to actually not happen in the Valley of Megiddo, but it's going to happen in the city of Jerusalem. And that makes sense to me because of the context of Revelation 16 says that during this battle, the great city or Jerusalem will be divided into three parts. We'll see that in a minute. But I think Michael Heisner is actually making a bigger point here that Armageddon is the last battle of all battles where the divine council will gather uh, the evil, uh, you know, demonic spirits and evil powers that are anti-God are going to gather the armies of the world to march into battle against God and his kids. And it's not going to go so well for those that come against God in war. Look at bowl number seven. We're going to see the earthquake and hailstones. Revelation 16, verse 17. Anybody having fun yet talking about bowls of wrath? Okay, look at uh, verse 17 here. Here we go. Um, In case you needed to pick me up after your morning coffee. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there has never been since man was on the earth. The great city, there we see it, uh, which is Jerusalem, was split into three parts. The great 
hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people. So think about what would happen if you had these big hailstones like that. Okay, I brought a picture of a hailstone that I picked up in my backyard from the little storm we had back in May. Some of you remember that storm? Little hailstone there. Okay, let me show you another picture of a car that was damaged by some significant hail and pretty significant damage. Okay, what's that car gonna look like and what, how's your insurance agent gonna feel when 100-pound hailstones hit your house and they have to cover it, right? It's not gonna go so well, right? But even after this display of power, these people still harden their hearts. And you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting as I was studying this text over the past couple of weeks is how connected it is to the plagues of Egypt. And if you haven't read the plagues of Egypt in the Bible, if you've seen that Disney movie, Aladdin, you know the story of the Exodus, right? And let me just show you that it, this, this Exodus story from the Old Testament is not just Moses and Pharaoh facing off. It's actually spiritual warfare. And it's God showing the people of Egypt and the Jewish people that he is more powerful than the Egyptian gods. Look at this chart, and you can see correlations there, right? Remember, we saw in, you know, the bowls and the things in the Exodus are connected. They both had water to blood happen. They both had a plague of frogs. They both had a plague of, of hail, didn't they? And I could go on and on if we had time about the correlations between the two. But it's God confronting the Egyptian false gods. And I, you see them listed there. So look at the middle one. I'll just mention this one. The frog goddess of Egypt is Hopi. And through uh, overcoming uh, you know, these Egyptian gods, God's saying, Hoppy, you can just hoppy right on out of here because I'm king of the earth, right on? And he does the same thing in Revelation where he says, hey, I'm the most high. And look, when I talk about all this, I wanna take a time out for a minute because I understand what some of you are thinking. You're new to church and you're like, okay, dude, you're talking about like evil powers in the air and demon gods and all this kind of stuff. Isn't that kind of outdated to think like that? And I would totally understand why you would think that. I know it seems a bit odd. And I have leaned in thinking that way too, that that's just, you know, kind of an archaic, ancient way of thinking. But I was helped by Dr. Tim Keller, who uh, referenced the movie Silence of the Lambs when he taught on this, and, and remember that movie, Silence of the Lamb, and you can remember Jodie Foster's character offers her starling, and she meets the evil Hannibal Lecter that was played by Anthony Hopkins, and she's like, what's wrong with him? What, what circumstances in life made him so twisted and evil? And remember Hannibal's response? He says um, in, in this movie, Nothing happened to me. I happen. You cannot reduce me to a set of influence. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Look at me. Can you stand to say, I am evil? And see, modern people, through behaviorism, do not have an answer for the monster's question. And isn't it a little bit culturally narrow for us to think that we have all the answers 
to reality in the world when it is not uncommon for people in Central and South America and Africa and Asia to believe that there are real evil spirits. Can't they have some wisdom and knowledge too? Perhaps they've encountered some things that a lot of Western naturalist people in Western Europe and the United States have not experienced, but we think we're too educated to believe in this kind of thing, right? But the, one of the most educated cultures in recent history were the Nazis who created death camps. And I'm all about education. I've earned my master's degree. We love educators around here. But educated people understand that even educated people are susceptible to being deceived. And look, one of the things that we see here from the exodus of the past and revelation plagues and bulls in the future is that there is a deception going on in the present. They're trying to divide us, the powers that be. They're trying to get us to be divided on race. They're trying, and we're, we say we're not gonna have it because we're all God's kids, right? And they're trying to divide us with masks and vaccines and politics. But when we fall for the petty divisions and we bow up to God and his discipline, it's us hardening our hearts, and we shouldn't be surprised that these things are happening leading up to perhaps future end-time events because Jesus warned us in Matthew 24. He said, in the last days, many are gonna fall away. You see any Christians falling away these days? He says, many are gonna fall away and betray one another and hate one another. See any hate going on today? He says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And look at this last part. The love of many will grow cold. People's hearts are growing harder to God. And I want to ask you, do you ever feel your heart growing hard? I thought it was brilliant how Tim Mackey of the Bible Project charts out how Pharaoh from the Exodus grew hard in his heart. If you look at this chart, during the plague of the frogs, he hardened his own heart. During the plague of the hail, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But then during the last plague of the death of the firstborn, look at Exodus eleven ten, After he'd Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we get chances to receive God's grace. You harden your heart, you harden your heart, and there'll come a day where God may harden your heart. So if you are a Christ follower who finds yourself growing harder and harder, please say to God today, I choose to soften my heart. If you're a spiritual investigator and you know you've been given loving opportunity by God. God's drawing you to himself in a gracious way that only he can do. Please don't harden your heart, but tell him, God, I choose to soften my heart. And one of the things that makes me think about you, spiritual investigators, is I was in a course class last year at the uh, church called Alpha Course. It was a fair number of people who are considering faith. And these friends of mine, dear friends from church, brought a friend, and he was a part of it. We were all on Zoom there. And one class, people were talking about how the course content, God was speaking to them through it. And this guy said, you know, God's speaking to me. It's like God's yelling at me, but I keep putting my earbuds in. Basically, what he's saying was, I acknowledge that God's trying to speak to me, but I don't want to listen. And he hardened his heart, see? Now, I want you to contrast that with my friend Philip. 
Philip got baptized here, and uh, not only did my friend Philip get baptized here, but also a friend named Cruz that goes to our church. And those two guys, after the things that they'd been through in their past lives, they both could have hardened their hearts to God. But they said, no, we're going to choose to believe, and now God's using them in powerful ways. But let me show you one last baptism picture, and that is a picture of a guy that used to be around here all the time. His name was Curtis. Some of you who have been around here for a long time remember Curtis. Curtis lived his life on the streets. And if anybody could get hard, it's people that live on the... You know how the streets harden people, right? Well, not long after this picture was taken, just a couple of years later, Curtis passed away. But not before he chose to say, God, I soften my heart to you. He had received Christ into his life. And the reason that I showed you Curtis's picture, that's good, good times, isn't it? The reason I showed you Curtis's picture is there's someone watching this stream or in this room right now, and you think you've gone too far already. And that is a lie. Because if you're not dead, you're not done. You remember that? If you're not dead, you're not done. And look, it's good news for someone today that you can say to God, I choose to soften my heart to you. So with that in mind, what do you say we bow for prayer? And if you've never believed in Jesus and you would like to today, maybe it's been a long time in coming. Maybe you just want to say to him, God, I choose to soften my heart. I choose today to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I welcome you into my life. And then there are others who, we've been believers and we're on the verge like of going too far and saying, God, I'm just tired of this struggle. Sometimes I just wanna forget about God, church, all of it, and give myself to the, craving, give myself to the cravings of this world. But today, he gives you an opportunity in his grace to say, no, I'm not going to take a step that's too far. But I choose today to soften my heart to you, God. Thank you for what you're doing among us. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, if at any time in your life you believed in Jesus and Turn to him, like Lee told us earlier, we've got baptisms coming up on the 21st of November, so make sure and get signed up for that. Also, if you're new to City Tribe and you wonder what the mission is here and what this church is about, and you kind of want to join up with the tribe, I've created a class called Tribal Orientation to get you oriented here, and I'll be teaching you that on November the 7th, right after the last service at 220. It'll be right here in the theater. Um, and if you're a worshiper at home, we'll have that on YouTube as well, streaming. And then the last thing I want to remind you about is our financial stewardship. And really, I just want to encourage you today for something. Do you know how much you guys have given away to help people pay bills like light bills, utilities, HEB gift cards and stuff through your church during the pandemic? I'll show you the number. Take a look at it on screen. You guys, thank you. 
Through City Tribe, you guys have given away $118,501.46. So thank you for your generosity. You're making a huge impact in the lives of a lot of families. And so since we don't pass buckets or plates, here's the way that we take up our tithes and offerings here. One of four ways. You can text it. You can mail it to the P.O. Box number. You can hit the QR code at the giving stations or drop it in the box. But if you hit the QR code, it'll take you to our website, citytribe.church slash tithe, and you can uh, uh, steward your resources online that way. So before you guys worship through generosity, let's stand up together and receive a word of benediction over us today. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from here, may you walk in the good grace of our Lord Jesus who loved you and drew you to himself and overcame the gods of this world. And may you walk from here, not bowing up, but continually softening your heart to our good God, who one day will bring justice on the earth. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.